Uh, I, I, I had mentioned certain ideas last week, um, but uh, I really was very brief, and it's really worth uh, to expand, and then I, I don't want to go back to Derek Hashem, but it's it very much, it, what's happening now in many ways uh, is incredible. And what, what it means is that this, uh, this clearly uh, testifies that we are very, very close to the Mashiach. If you recall, uh, and I'm going to talk about Yishmael. In the end of days, I've mentioned, of course, many times, that Edom has to do tshuva, to repent. And I brought down many, many different things. I mean, there's, there's like many hours in Shurim devoted to uh, the whole concept of Edom, uh, Trump, the whole United States scene, what his role is, and he's slowly coming around to that role and so on. So that's clearly messianic, because that happens in the end of time. But one of the things that also happens in the end of time, and it is happening, which is astounding, is the concept of Yishmuel, the Arabs, Muslim, Islam. And even they also will do tshuva at the end. Now, it's hard to believe that. But the truth is that the Midrash indicates that and I want to go back to that medrash that I quote many, many times, where it says that in the end, uh, that Amr Ab Yitzchok, that in the, in, it really means at the end of time, in the week that Ben David Bo, means at the end of time, uh, it says that um, the world will be really uh, igniting and inciting a lot of different friction. But it says Poras, which we know, of course, is Iran, Persia. Of course, 2,000 years ago when this Medrash was written, Iran was Persia. And it says that they will incite the nations of the world to war. Incite means, you know, war, friction, hostilities, violence. That's what it means. And it says that they are going to incite a war against Arab, Arabia. And then it says that Arabia is going to seek counsel with Edom, the Edomites. And then it continues and says, uh, this is in the Yalkut Shemoni, Yishayahu 499, if anybody wants to look at it, sort of like toward the end of the first column on that page. And it says there that uh, um, Persia will then incite a war with the entire world. And it even says that they are going to Mahriv, they didn't destroy the world, you know. Now, it doesn't mean literally destroy, but they certainly begin that process, you know. Uh, and it's not just a war, it's a war of destruction. And then it, it, it continues and says that the world will be frightened, they won't know what to do. And Klaisa will also be frightened, because this is a major, major confrontation. And then a Basco will come out, and the Rabbanisham says, all that I have done, it's because of you. God is saying this to the Jews. A divine voice. And what's so important, it ends off with the Higiyaz Mangu that the time of your redemption has arrived. I had mentioned from that we see a very important idea. That in the end of time, really literally the end of time, the last great confrontation will be Iran. Is that clearly? Higiyaz Mangu the time of your redemption has arrived, means that this is it. 
So therefore, the last great confrontation will be between Iran, first against Arabia, Arab is Arabia, and then what will happen is that um, uh, they will seek counsel with Edom, which is America, as we will see. And then you have the whole confrontation with the whole world. And at that point, whatever happens in that war, of course, uh, is going to lead to the Mashiach and so on. What we see happening, there's something astounding that's happening today. And it, it is so incredible, I, I really have to share about it. I, I alluded to it in a, in a more superficial way last week. But I really have to go into what's happening. Because it's that, it is that exciting and it is that prof, uh, prophetic. You know, so I'm going to, uh, I had intended to do Derek Hashem, but, uh, you know, I, I felt that this, this uh, news is so incredible that it has to be stated fully. And that's really what I'm doing it. Okay. <clears throat> There's an article uh, in, in Yated by Carolyn Click. She's very good. She's a very good political analyst. Actually, she's excellent and so on, you know. So she writes an article about what's happening in Arabia, Saudi Arabia. Uh, and uh, but she, as the article goes on, she writes certain things which she's not aware of, and that's the incredible ideas that are coming out of this. I would like to read the article if you don't mind. It's a little long; it takes about five minutes, whatever. But the article is stunning to read because it's a, it's a very good understanding and explanation of what is happening in the Middle East, and ultimately what is happening in the world, and what does it have to do with the Mashiach and Jews. So, I, I like to do that, you know. And, uh, because like I say, it's, it's really incredible to read the change that is happening. Remember the Medrash, and you'll understand it, that Persia attacks Arabia. Iran attacks Saudi Arabia. Because that's who, who is Arab, it's Arabia, you see. And then Arov will seek advice, counsel with Edom, who is America, right? And that, uh, that obviously means there's a very good relationship between these two countries. And then, of course, there will break out a tremendous confrontation, and that, uh, uh, in, in many ways, is the end. Uh, but that has tremendous amount of significance, that Persia will attack Saudi Arabia, you see. And there's a reason for that, as we will see. Uh, you know, which you, you can begin to see, not from the article, but you can begin to see the uh, significance of all of this, okay? Especially in terms of the Messianic era, what has to be before. <clears throat> For 70 years, Saudi Arabia served as the largest and most significant incubator of Sunni Jihad, which is true. I mean, every, for all the years, who was really behind the jihad, which is extremist or radical Islam? Saudi Arabia. These were the guys. <clears throat> what kind of a shita? What type of an ideology is that? It's Wahhabi. If I remember correctly, Wahhabis, there, were, there, there was a guy who lived a while back, I don't know exactly how far back, but he, he began a new concept of Islam, radical, where he felt that the main thrust of Islam has to be to conquer the world. It's the concept of a caliphate, which the ISIS really wants to do. <clears throat> but this extremist form of Islam 
is called Wahhabism. And apparently Saudi Arabia embraced that. And that's their major ideology, ideological drive. <clears throat> it's Wahhabist Islamic establishment funded radical mosques around the world. Yeah, they're the guys who gave all the money to all the mosques. It all came from, of course, Saudi Arabia, including the World Trade Center, you know, 9-11, uh, right? I think, well, it's really 15 out of 19 of those guys were Saudi citizens. You see already what's going on. <clears throat> um, Saudi princes have supported radical Islamic cleric clerics who have indoctr indoctrinated their followers to pursue jihad against the non-Islamic world. Yeah, the main thing is jihad, which means to overthrow, that's really what it means, and to establish a dominance and supremacy of, of Wahhabism, which of course is radical uh, Islam. Saudi money stands behind most of the radical Islamic groups in the non-Islamic world that have in turn financed <coughs> terrorist groups. That's their money. They're the ones who are doing it. And they, of course, funded Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and they have insulated radical Islam from scrutiny by Western governments and academics. What these guys have done is really incredible. Not only do they fund the radicals, Saudi Arabia, but what they do is they paid off. There's an enormous amount of, of uh, uh, lobbyists that they pay off to quiet everybody down and to hide the fact that these are the guys that are sponsoring terrorism. You know, and they have the money, they have billions and billions of dollars, you know, and so on. <clears throat> Indeed, Saudi money stands behind the silence of critics of jihadist Islam in universities throughout the Western world. Yeah, they silenced everybody. They build buildings, they do all kinds of stuff. It's, bri it's called bribery, payoff, to be silent. <clears throat> Uh, she writes, as Mitchell Bard documented in his 2011 book, The Arab Lobby, which is very interesting, any power pro-Israel forces in Washington, D.C. have developed pales in comparison to the power of Arab forces led by the Saudi government. If you think that Israel has great lobbyists and so on, it pales in comparison to the lobbyists that work for the Saudi government in terms of their, their tremendous power and so on, you know. Um, Saudi government spending on lobbyists in Washington far outstrips that of any other nation. I mean, these guys pay good and they pay well. Forget about it. These guys have the whole Congress basically bought off or a major portion of the foreign people, you know, guys who deal with foreign uh, affairs in Congress. <clears throat> Uh, according to Justice Department, Justice Department disclosures from earlier this year, since 2015, Saudi Arabia vastly increased its spending on influence peddling. Tremendous. Um, according to a report by The Intercept, uh, some type of paper, since 2015, which is what, two years ago, the kingdom has expanded the number of foreign agents on retainer from 25 to 145 people. That's how many people. And these guys are not just, you know, clerics. These guys are top guys in the government. They are now funding these guys, okay? Uh, more than, imagine, 145 guys working for you to quiet the criticism and to spread uh, Islam. <clears throat> and it says that story lobbyists, those guys, 
they're the ones who shielded the kingdom from serious criticism after 15 of the 19th September 11th hijackers were shown to be Saudi nationals. That's why you don't hear much. How come they never investigated these 15 guys from the guys who blew up the World Trade Center? Because these lobbyists in some way have enough influence to shield the criticism. You see, <clears throat> they blocked a reconsideration of the U.S.'s strategic alliance with Saudi Arabia after attacks and in subsequent years. Even, ever, even after it was revealed that Princess Haifa, interesting, wife of Prince Bandar, the Saudi ambassador to Washington at the time of September 11th when it occurred, had, she had financially supported two of the hijackers of the 9-11 in the months that preceded the attacks. They even, they even managed to quiet everybody and not even to look into that. I mean, it's just incredible. <clears throat> but it says that the position of Saudi Arabia cooled during the uh, uh, Obama administration. He cooled off. He sort of like uh, backed off from them. Why? Uh, so he says that the cooling wasn't because of a concern over Saudi financial support for radical Islam. No, it wasn't that. It says to the contrary, the Obama administration was friendlier to Islamists than any previous administration. So if that's the case, well, you're backing off from Saudi Arabia, you see. Uh, well, then consider the Obama administration's placement of Muslim Brotherhood supporters in key positions in the federal government. He supported uh, what he called Mohammed um, uh, um, uh, Morsi. You know, even though he's, he's a Muslim Brotherhood, was his radical Islam. That's what Obama did. You see. <clears throat> She's talking about the U.S. government. U.S. government, yeah, yeah. So the question is, why did Obama? Why did he had uh, 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 cooled <coughs> off? So what she writes is the reason why, because Obama certainly turns suddenly turned in favor to Iran. That's why, and Iran and Saudi Arabia opposites. Iran's are Shiites, and the Saudis, of course, are Sunnis, and they hate each other all the way back from the time of Muhammad. You see, so he backed off from Saudi Obama because he turned his attention to Iran. That's why, okay. <clears throat> Which is very important, by the way, because now the focus is on empowering Iran. <clears throat> During the same period, the Muslim Brotherhood's close ties to the Iranian regime, regime became increasingly obvious. Now the reason for that, why is the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt why are they getting cozy with Iran? Because the Muslim Brotherhood is, is, is Sunni, not Shiite. Whereas Iran is Shiite. This is the change that is happening. Is that it's not about Shiites joining Shiites. It's Sunnis, which are bitter enemies, joining Iran. And this is really a very fundamental change. Okay. Um, and then you have Mohammed Morsi, who was the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood affiliate president. He hosted Iranian leaders in Cairo, you see. Clearly then, um, uh, you find many Sunnis joining the Shiites, which are the Iranians. Now, at that time, this was happening when Morsi uh, was overthrown in 2013, Saudi Arabia began to wake up. This is what the article begins to show. 
What was the wake up? <clears throat> because they realized something. Is that it's not a matter of the fact that Poras, Iran, is a Shiite and Saudi Arabia is a Sunni and these are the two, two great powers in the Middle East. It's not only they realize that, hey, the Shiites are trying to throw us out, destroy the royal family in the whole Saudi Arabia. But it's more than that. What they began to realize is many of the Sunnis, the radicals, like, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Hezbollah, uh, Hezbollah, and also what he called uh, Hamas, and even Al-Qaeda are throwing their weight with the Iranians. Which is incredible, because Saudi Arabia is Sunni, yet they look at Sunnis, Al-Qaeda, as they, she brings out, uh, is now joining Iran, Shiites. You see, <clears throat> now, really in the end, why is that? Why are Sunnis joining Iranians? You know, and the idea to that is that, because the, the, these radical groups realize that the only ones who have power to bring a jihad of the world, certainly of the Middle East, is who? Is Iran. That's all. So they'd rather throw in their, their weight behind Iran, which will then get them the whole Middle East, and maybe the whole world, whatever, than what? Then Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia's doing nothing. They're just, uh, they're, in many ways, they're just, uh, uh, you know, uh, partners with, with America. So therefore, Saudi Arabia realized that, wait a minute, the Sunnis are joining, right? <coughs> they're joining Iran. To do what? And that is true Islamic uh, what do you call it? jihad? So it's not enough that they have Sunnis on their side and you have Iran. No, no. All these Sunni guys, all these radical guys, are actually joining the enemy. So what are they? What's going to happen? They're going to be left alone, Sunnis against Iran, Shiites, and Sunnis, Hamas, Al Qaeda, right? I, uh, ISIS. They're all joining Iran. So they realized the handwriting's on the wall. You see. But what is the significance of that? Now, there was, an, there was a tremendous purge that happened just a week or two weeks ago, whatever. Tremendous purge. What was that? Because right now the king of Saudi Arabia is Salman. Right? He's an old guy. He's probably he's over 80s, you know. I mean, he's, his days are numbered, whatever that is, you know. Uh, so he woke up, apparently, and he appointed his son, Mohammed bin Salman, who's 32 years old, by the way. And he said, look, you're the crown prince. That's what he did. Why? Because he did, he, what he, he realized what, what I'm saying is that there's a whole concept of the Sunnis joining Iran. And they're going to be left out in the cold and that's the end of the royal family. You see. Uh, so this guy, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the crown prince now, 30 years old, has to do basically two things. And this is what's astounding. The first thing he's doing is what everybody does when he becomes king. You kill everybody else that's a rival. Right? So what he's doing is he's arresting, the, he's, he's arresting <clears throat> so it is in this context of Saudi Arabia's reassessment of its interests and realignment of strategic postures in recent years that the dramatic events of the past few days in the kingdom must be seen. All of a sudden, the whole Saudi Arabia is being shaken up. Uh, so all of a sudden, the recent sudden announcement of a new anti-corruption panel, of course, is headed by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, right? And all of a sudden, there's an announcement of the arrest of more than two dozen royal family members. I mean, we're not talking about people. We're talking about members of the royal family. He arrested them. 
It's incredible. Uh, you see, and not only them, but cabinet ministers, I mean, cabinet ministers are the guys that rule with him. Uh, he had them arrested, and also prominent businessmen. He arrested one of the most richest guys in the world. Why? Um, because it's a power seizure, seizure, you see. Because there's a rumor that Salman is about to abdicate, an old guy, right? And he's going to give the throne to his son, 32-year-old guy, right? And he obviously has to neutralize everybody. His family, his business guys, the cabinet ministers, because all these people are a threat to him. You see, when Salman abdicates or he dies, whichever, and then he takes over. I uh, see. So, what is it called? Ezechochem or and right? Who is a wise man? He who can see that which the future which can come out, right? So, he realizes that when Salman's gone, these guys are all like wolves, will attack him. So, he's going to knock them all out. <clears throat> So that's the first very, very interesting concept. But there's something else that's going on, and that's the real kicker in terms of the acceleration of a messianic process. And here's what she writes, but she doesn't understand the significance. But there's clearly also something strategically more significant going on than just the power grab. While many of the officials arrested over last weekend threatened Mohammed's power, it makes sense, they aren't the only ones that he has purged. Who else he purged? In September, Mohammed arrested some 30 senior Wahhabist clerics and intellectuals, you see. And the arrest of the princes, cabinet ministers, and business leaders was followed up by further arrests of more senior Wahhabist clerics. Excuse me. These are the ideological, uh, what do you call it, the structure, the whole Saudi Arabia. They've been doing this for years with these guys. The Wahhabists dictate, or they are the real, uh, you know, uh, teachers of the Wahhabi Shita, right? Which is the jihad, right? It's, you know what it's like? It's like, imagine the communist, uh, you know, the communist, or, or rather, the, uh, you know, it's like Brezhnev arresting all the communists. Or it's like Americans arresting the Congress. Excuse me, that's who make you up. That's who your ideological, uh, what do you call it, framework is. Uh, so whoever heard that Saudi Arabia would arrest senior Wahhabists? And these guys are like the Rosh, you know. <clears throat> but here's, here's an, so that's the first incredible stance. The second thing, at the same time, Muhammad has been promoting clerics who espouse tolerance for other religions, including Judaism and Christianity. What? Judaism, Christianity in Saudi Arabia, right? That, excuse me, that, that's like, uh, you know, um, sodium and chloride. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, uh, fire and water together. How's that possible, right? <clears throat> he has removed the Saudi religious police power. Those are the guys who arrested you when you were Capricurus. You know, if you said, I don't believe, you know, these are the religious defenders, right? He removed the Saudi religious police's power to conduct arrests and he has taken seemingly credible steps to find lift the kingdom-wide prohibition on women driving. Unbelievable. I mean, this is connected Islam in many ways. Why? And what does it tell us? Okay. <clears throat> and then there's something else. that the U.S. just recently we, we, uh, uh, took the files when the U.S. captured uh, Osama bin Laden in 2000, uh, um, 
in, in 2011 when they killed a guy, you know, they captured a whole bunch of files. And what those files said were incredibly revealing. And Obama hid them. He refused to give out what they were, what was in the files. Because in the files, it said incredible thing. It said that Al-Qaeda, who's this, first of all, it, 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 it's, it, Obama wanted everybody to believe that Al-Qaeda was down the tubes. It's on his way out. Because he wanted them, he wanted to win the election again. But those files indicate that Al-Qaeda wasn't dying. It was a lie that Obama, uh, what do you call it, um, spread. <clears throat> but the second thing is, <coughs> who is the sponsor of Al-Qaeda? Al-Qaeda is Sunnis. But those files revealed that Al-Qaeda was sponsored by Iran. What? Sunnis are being sponsored by Iran? Hey, this can't be. And therefore, he gave those files over to Saudi Arabia, to Mohammed bin Salman, to indicate that you have no idea who you're up against. You're not up against only Iran. You are up against Sunnis, those guys who hold your brand of Islam, which is incredibly dangerous now for Saudi Arabia, you see. And that's, in many ways, what they realized. <clears throat> that they're no, their enemy is no longer just Iran. It is also that. Uh, but it's more than that, you see. Because not only do they realize that radical Islam will destroy Saudi Arabia, because that's what they see now, you see, because these guys are with, the, with that. But there's other things going on. You know, okay, fine. But why destroy the Wahhabis? So fight the Sunnis. Because he realizes something else. Uh, that radical Islam is over with. It's going to destroy Saudi Arabia. It's not just Iran and the Sunnis that are joining Iran. It's this <coughs> whole concept of radical Islam. What does that mean? <coughs> Several ideas. First of all, Saudi Arabia is doing very bad economically, and he realizes that. As I mentioned, economically doing very poorly. That means oil is going to end. The U.S. is the greatest oil producer. Israel has the, one of the greatest gas fields. You know, But not only that, by 2020... You know, they say 48% of, or oh, by 2030, 48% of all the cars are going to be electric. That's the end of oil. And therefore, electric cars and also uh, hydrogen fuel cars runs on water. You see, in, in, in a short amount of time, whatever, 15, 20 years, that's the, not the end of oil, but the influence that these people can peddle as a result of oil is severely diminished. So therefore, what Saudi Arabia has to do right, is change their economy, but even more important, they realize that the only bulwark against Iran and Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS is Israel. They see that. So therefore, they have to ally themselves with Israel, which is amazing. But they realize also, not only do they have to ally themselves with Israel, but if you want to be friends with America, you've got to be friends with Israel, because Trump loves Israel. That's basically what he, he's all for Israel, even though he's making mistakes, you see. So what's driving them into the arms of Israel is Iran and the Sunnis joining Iran. Also, that uh, Israel is an incredible economy and one of the greatest uh, innovators of, uh, of uh, uh, challenges in the entire world. And they need that now to remove the economic dependence on oil. But even for America, if you're friends with Israel, then Trump will look much, much more kindly on you. But the interesting thing about all that is that Saudi Arabia is destroying the ideology of Wahhabism that fueled Saudi Arabia for years. That's the incredible thing. That is a harot of Yishmael.
when they are now turning away from Islam, and like it says here, actually, uh, you know, at the same time, Muhammad has been promoting clerics who espouse tolerance for other religions, including Judaism, Christianity. This is unheard of. I mean, these guys were the worst enemies of Judaism or Christianity. It was all Islam, right, and all Jihad Islam. Something is happening. And you know what it is? Although she doesn't realize that. This is the concept of Yishmael doing tshuva before the end of time. Just like Edom has to do tshuva and ultimately assist Israel. <coughs> assist Israel. That was the whole concept of Trump. Edom doing tshuva, part of the tikkun process, before the end of time. Because the Bonshim wants Esau, and today's pastor told us, which is really very interesting, you know. He wants Esau back into the fold, not after Mashiach comes, because there's no schah, but he wants Edom to be back in the fold as part of the tikkun process, you see. And that, in many ways, is really what Trump is all about. But the incredible thing is you find it now happening with Arabia. That's what's happening. The, the fact that he is not only going against Iran and the Sunnis, that's one thing, but that he's introducing clerics that are tolerant to Judaism and also to uh, uh, you know, Christianity, other religions, it's unheard of. That women can drive cars, this is unheard of, and so on. That is a tremendous softening of Yishmoel. And he is getting, you know, the last month they reported that, they, they, of course, people are denying it and so on, that this guy, Mohammed bin Salman, who's the crown prince, went to Israel. Did you ever hear of a Saudi Arabia guy going to Israel? It's like unheard of, you know. And not only that, he's also made very good friends with Jared Kushner. This guy, Mohammed and Kushner, they become good friends. You know, they're, they're in many ways, they're similar ages, you see. But it clearly indicates that this guy, this crown prince, there's something happening in the major ideology, and it's a tremendous shift from the hatred of Jews, you know, uh, and, and the hatred of anybody non-Muslim, that he is slowly beginning to turn toward Israel and America and so on, and the West, and this is the beginning of a radical change of Arabia. And Arabia, you should know, is Yishmael. That who Yishmael really is. And that's the Medrash. Isn't that interesting? That Poras, Persia, will war with who? With Arav. Who's Arav? Saudi Arabia. That's really what it is. This is the confrontation. But the incredible thing about that is that, that uh, the fact that they are threatening Saudi Arabia is driving them to realize the bankruptcy of that type of Islam and ultimately to join with America in the West and ultimately to become friendly with Israel. It'll take time, but there's no question, and that's the biggest idea, is that he is going after the senior clerics of Wahhabism. I'm telling you, I have no idea what that is. That's like a revolution, you know, like I said, you know, it's like Brezhnev, you know, killing all the communists. You know, and it's what the same thing is. These are your ideological, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, 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 framework. So what this really is telling us something incredibly important that we are beginning to see the reversal of Islam not as an enemy of the Jewish people but hopefully as a friend as an ally to assist Israel. So you see that in terms of America which is Edom, Trump and you see that with this crown prince also in terms of Saudi Arabia 
And the most, the, the, the essential Islam you should know is Saudi Arabia. It's not Iran. And if they're doing tshuva, then, and they are one of the major nations of the Middle East, you're going to find the Emirates also beginning to think that way. And uh, hopefully even Egypt, even Egypt is friendly with Israel, Al-Sisi and so on and so forth. It's something which one would never think could ever happen, that Saudi Arabia could actually become friendly to Israel, you see. And also, one more thing, is that uh, Abbas went to meet Saudi Arabia. He just made a recent trip to Saudi Arabia, and it's reported, I mean, obviously, unofficially and so on, that Arabia said, because they're getting very impatient, they said, listen, we don't know what Trump is doing, whatever he's doing, he's going to try to make some kind of peace deal, whatever it is, but you need to do it. Whatever America says, I don't care what you say, you need to follow the plan. Because they realize that this whole concept of the Palestinian conflict is destroying them. And it's all, all it's doing is, what do you call it, um, it all it is is... Uh, uh, di uh, distracting everybody from the real threat of the world, which is Iran. You know, let's cut this out already. You know, so it's it's interesting. And they're the big backers for Abbas that they themselves have warned Abbas and said, which obviously means we're not tolerating this anymore. Hey, you get behind whatever's being offered. You know, which is not necessarily good for Israel because God knows what they're going to offer and so on. But it does indicate the seriousness of Saudi Arabia to stop the distractions and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's not good for, uh, for Islam. Anyway, I thought it's very significant uh, because this, uh, like I say, is destined to happen uh, before, the, before the Mashiach. So first Edoim went with Trump, and now we see Saudi Arabia can go with this guy, uh, uh, Mohammed uh, bin Salman. It's fascinating to watch, you know, and so on. Anyway, I thought I wanted to tell you that because it's, it's extremely impressive and it's critical in terms of the Mashiach himself. Any questions? We're close. Very close. Because you already have, we're watching two major uh, events happening. Major events happening. That's what we're watching. Saudi Arabia only has anyway. 20 million people. Persia, Iran, got 80 million. I know. They can't fight them alone. Who? Saudi Arabia can't go against No, of course Iran not. Can't go no, no, of course Iran. not. Of course not. Yeah. And the Iranians are very good. Iranians are very smart. Persians are smart. You know. And they, they can't fight Iran. Of course not. Iran will blow them out of the water. Uh, but there is one nation that can fight Iran. And that's Israel. That's why they need Israel desperately. You know, Israel really should wake up and say, hey, you need us more than we need you. We don't need your oil. We don't need anything from you, in fact. You know, uh, if, you, if you side with us, finally, and get rid of this stupid nonsense that you, uh, you know, that you can't, what do you mean, Islam and all this, uh, um, uh, then it's for your benefit, yeah. You know, but uh, will Israel be able to do that? Because they are the ones that are in demand, not Saudi Arabia. You know, and like I say, you know, Saudi Arabia can easily be cut out altogether. And they realize that. That's why Salman said, hey, you're the crown prince. Because if I don't make you crown prince, if we don't change Saudi Arabia, it's over in a generation. 
That's the end of the Saudi family. So he's making good moves except for letting women to drive that I don't agree with. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a mistake. Oh. <laughs> but that's not on religious grounds, right? <laughs> that's how uh, you know. Well, you got to check the, with the insurance companies. So who's, who's got more accents, the men or the women? You know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just uh, for a nation like Saudi Arabia, which is, they are the quintessential Islam jihadists. For them to be doing this, I mean, it's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, I, I'm pointing out because I don't think people realize what's going on. This is the beginning of the end Maybe of... Uh, no, of course they, no. You don't want people... No, but the interesting thing about it is the one who's driving Saudi Arabia is Persia, is Iran. They're the ones who are driving uh, Saudi Arabia to do this. That's what it means, because when you see from that message that I quoted, when it says Persia, Iran, which, by the way, is, of course, Muslim. Muslims are destroying Muslims. <coughs> Why would Iran uh, fight with, uh, with, uh, with Arab, Saudi Arabia? They're all Muslims, because the Muslim... This is called God is the greatest chess master of all. 1400 years ago, he had Shiites and Sunnis as part of Islam. He already had them at each other's throats 1400 years ago. So that 1400 years later, they will cause, you know, Persia, the Shiites will cause Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia to the Sunnis to, uh, to uh, do tshuva and become friendly with Israel and to really side. It's a work in progress. It's not there yet, but in terms of what's happening, you can you see the handwriting on the, on the wall. It's incredible what's happening. So I felt I had to really expand on it, uh, and just to tell you that uh, it's, uh, these are incredible events, which are messianic. Anybody have any questions about, comments, any of this? I have one comment. Saddam Hussein kept lie that he had atomic weapons yeah. because he was scared of Iran and he figured that would keep them at bay. Yeah. And you know, Bush boarded and attacked his country because of it. Yeah. You know? But that was Hasgoch. Yeah, but it was Iran that he was trying to keep keep from, Yeah, but uh, yeah. You know with that But you know why that happened? The reason why that happened is the Bush wanted Bush or America to think that the real enemy was Iraq, not Iran. And because of that, they attacked Iraq because Iraq, they thought, was the fifth greatest military power in the world. He had weapons, nuclear weapons, and all this stuff. Of course they were wrong. Why did the Bush want that? And that started, by the way, between the war, you know, between Iraq and Iran, um, in, in the 80s and so on, you know, and uh, because the um, uh, wants Iran to become a superpower, a nuclear power, so this could happen. They could threaten the whole Middle East, and Saudi Arabia can come back to Israel and so on, you know. And therefore, what he did is he distracted the entire world, Bush, to th that he should think that Iraq is the enemy when it was really Iran, so therefore while everybody was looking at Iraq, Iran was building nuclear weapons. It was a, what's called a distraction. That's really what the Bansham did. And because of that, Iran was able to quietly, called surreptitiously, build the nuclear weapons 
Until now, where they're aboard they, they can have a nuclear weapon in what, two, three months? You see? And I also mentioned that the Bonisham is accelerating the process because if Trump re- uh, removes the, uh, the, decertifies the Iranian deal, what that means is that, and, and the Congress restores the sanctions, then what's going to happen is, uh, is that they, Iran is going to accelerate the process of building a nuclear weapon which is going to accelerate the threat of Iran, which is going to accelerate even more uh, Saudi Arabia coming to, uh, coming to America and Israel, which is going to accelerate the, the uh, confrontation, uh, which of course is going to accelerate Mashiach. That's what he's doing. So on both sides, you see the acceleration of Iran, Saudi Arabia, you see this whole thing, it's like a chess game. Don't focus on the individual pieces. Look at the whole board and how ultimately all of it is converging to accelerate the whole process, you see. And that's really what's going on. You've got to look at the whole chessboard, not in any individual piece movement. That's the problem. Everybody looks at the individual pieces. Well, that event and this event and that, you see. But if you have the, what's called the, the hashkofa of the messianic process, then you don't look at any individual event. You can look at the entire chessboard of what's happening. And what you begin to realize, it's incredible how everything, even though they look like they're fragmented, you know, each one is an individualistic event, right? But really, it's all converging slowly. And you know, in the end, what the end of the chess game is? Checkmate. Somehow, all the pieces in all the different places all of a sudden get together and checkmate. That's what's happening, you see. And I'm just trying to show you uh, about what's happening lately is just incredible. To me, it's incredible. Because you have no idea what Saudi Arabia was. It was the worst nation, uh, 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 Islamic nation. I mean, Wahhabism is the worst. You know, it's worse than, I don't know if it's worse than ISIS, but it has the same concept of ISIS, to build a caliphate and to this ultimately to dominate all the non-Islamic nations. Radical. Okay? That's really what they are. And for them to turn around... What was that? What was their cheshman to begin with to support them so strongly? Because they believed in radical Islam. They believe in jihad. Yeah. But they see it's not happening. And the other guy, all the other Sunnis, as I mentioned, they're joining Iran because Iran's the only one that could take out Israel... Without that taking out Israel, it's not going to happen. Because Israel is the major uh, resistance to that whole radical Islam. And the only one who could take out Israel is who? Is, is Iran. That's really why all the Sunni radical Muslims are joining Iran. You know, so for them, it's amazing that even though they hate Shiites, because they really hate each other, but the, 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 the uh, dream... Well, no, it's, it's not only they, they hate Jews. They want to dominate the world. You know, they want to kill the Jews. I mean, that, there's no question about that. Because they want to supplant Judaism. They want to say that we are the major nation that God chose us. It's like the Christians. But the real concept is that they want to dominate the world. They want to see the, remember, the great Islamic empire. You know, but it's funny. They dream of an Islamic empire. And, uh, and Iran dreams of a great Persian empire. You know, it's, it's, you, know you ever see, it's, uh, you know, Shiva Shavtani Kurishina, return our dream the way we used to be, 
So, you know, uh, Persia's got this, uh, Iran's got this dream. We used to be, and they were, they were the greatest empire. Persia at one time, it's incredible. They, you know, and uh, Alexander finally conquered them, but they were incredible, you know, and uh, so they have their dreams. And then you have uh, Islam who dominated the whole world. I mean, if they didn't get stopped at Vienna, whatever it was, 15 or whatever, and so on, you know, uh, they would have taken over Europe. That Vienna is what stopped them. But the Muslims said, Ad Khan, you know, Europe is Esav, Edom, Christianity, and the Middle East is yours, you see. But, um, and uh, they're all dreaming of uh, the, the, the previous glory that they used to have, you know. So Trump certifies this. Uh, he want he uh, he's so he said so he's certifying. He's not signing on it. So there has to be an attack on Iran before the two three months. There has to be what? Do that. They have to attack Iran before they get the nuclear weapons. Um. Well. Well. That that's the acceleration. Yeah. It's that's. Uh, it could be the Americans or the Israelis. It would be both together. America's uh, you know, um, I'm sure we both together. Uh, you know, because uh, um, um, if it's Israel and America, and of course, America is going to weaponize Israel, because they, you know, all this stuff. You know, look, America can wipe out Iran in a week, in one day. You know, <coughs> these people have no concept of the firepower of America, and, and, and Trump was right. You have no idea what we can do to you. What was his, his lotion? You don't even dream about what we can do to you guys. And he's right. So Trump's going to be well, yeah, the question is, uh, it's a, it, it, well, yeah, he, he may or maybe he's going to see a nuclear Iran is such a threat that he doesn't even need Congress. Uh, sometimes he doesn't, you know. Uh, sometimes he needs a, a, a declaration of act of war. But there's no question that if he decertifies and if Congress um, refu uh, goes along with that and restores the, the sanctions, you know, those mullahs are going to go crazy. They're going to say, hey, forget about it all. You'll fire up the, uh, what do you call it, the, um, what do you call those? The centrifuges, they got about 20,000 of them, you know, it's incredible. You know, it's full, full speed ahead for the bomb. Then America's going to have to do something, you know, and if they do something, I mean, we can't even predict what happens when Iran goes crazy, you know. Uh, you know, so the Russians can get Back not really. I don't. I don't believe. No, Putin is not stupid. It's a very bright guy. Russia has no interest in Iran. Well, what are they? These guys are Muslims and Russians or whatever they are. You know, the 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 idea of Russia. These guys want territory. What they really want is they want an opening to the Mediterranean Sea. They want two things. Russia. They want to be back in the business of being a superpower. That's that's Gaiva, you know, arrogance. And the second thing they want is they want a port on the Mediterranean. And if they take, if they play, play with the Iranians, and uh, you know, and which is Lebanon and Syria and so on, then they they can have a port there. But do they really like Iranians? Ah, of course not. They yeah, want Iran, you know. And Russia's not going to enter that. Russia's not going to enter a war with America, you know, because they, they don't want to be destroyed either. I mean, the truth is, the only country that can destroy America is Russia, because they still have those uh, ICBMs, you know. But, um, look, everybody recognizes Iran as a world threat. Iran is the greatest threat to the world, st stability of the world, you know. I always wonder, which is really, when you think about that, it's beyond belief. The greatest nations that desta destabilize the world and threaten civilizations are who? It's Iran, or well, Syria's a basket case, you know. Uh, North Korea, to a certain extent, you know, 
Uh, and uh, those are the two nations that are really uh, North Korea and Iran much worse. Uh, they, they are the greatest threat to civilization. And it's amazing to watch how the world allows themselves to be taken hostage by this, this, this uh, startup nation called Iran. You know, and the world could, and America could, could take them out in what, 15 minutes? You know, they just allow Iran to destabilize the entire Middle East. I mean, it's clear. <clears throat> they are the mother of all terrorism. And why do they allow this one nation, when they have the ability to take this nation out, to do this? It's astounding to watch how foolish people are. You know, they should, America should say to Iran, excuse me, you know, you are threatening civilization. You are taking apart the whole Middle East. You can't do that, you know. So we tell you now, we give you a week to get rid of your weapons. You don't do that, we'll take you out. And they don't have to take out the people, you know. They can take out the infrastructure and then send Iran back into the, uh, you know, the first century. CE, BCE. You know what I'm saying? And what's the big deal? You just blow up the whole place. And that's the, that's the end of Iran. No infrastructure, no power plants, no dams, no nothing. You destroy Iran, you know. Um, and Iran cannot respond, you know. To me, it's always incredible. When Iran is not a threat to the Middle East. It is a threat to the entire world civilization, you see, in terms of the proxies, the nations. And if the Middle East goes, the whole world goes with it because that's where the oil is and so on and so forth, you know. So why, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing these guys to dictate, you know, uh, hold everybody hostage? What are you doing that for? But that's what the world is, you know. Um, they're always afraid to take the right action. It's like they say, why does evil always win and good doesn't? Because the good always hesitates. They have to ask, well, do I have to pass a law? Is it right? Is it moral? Is it ethical? You know, evil doesn't think about that. They just say, hey, I want this, bang, bang, and that's the end of it. You see, that's why evil always wins and good never wins. You see? And, and people are evil, they never hesitate. They know exactly what they want, and that's it, you know. But that's, that's one of the incredible um, vulnerabilities of the, of the world, is that they will not confront evil. They will allow it to, uh, to grow. And the problem is they wait too long. It's like that, what's his name, uh, Chamberlain, and, and Hitler, and Maxima, you know. Peace in our time. This guy is an idiot. It's an absolute idiot that he could, he, anybody could look at Hitler realize what this guy wanted you know you don't have to be a rocket scientist to feel like what this guy wanted he wants to dominate the world and certainly he's going to dominate europe so what's this peace in our time you know because chamberlain said that 56 million people died in that world war ii because he came up with this absurdity that it's peace in our time no hitler's good and even though he's taking over you know czechoslovakia this guy's he's gone on the move i mean where, where's your head you know you know what our problem is? Our problem is we think these people are larger than life. Politician, prime minister, oh, these guys are illusion, right? They always know the truth. Most of the time, they're idiots. They have self-interest all the time, and they're idiots. You see, because they're always dominated by their self-interest, whatever that is. More votes, you know, or allies, or whatever is going on. But that's why many of them fail to see the truth. Anyway. What country wants a billion Muslims mad at no, no country wants that. What are you saying? They're afraid to antagonize the whole Muslim world. 
Well, who's afraid to antagonize the Muslim world? Every country. Spain, <clears throat> France, they all are. But here's the, I, here's the idea, you know. Look, in the end, you need a person, the country has to decide. Are you going to allow Iran to destroy the world or not? They will destroy the world. They don't care. They don't care if they lose 30 million people. Or are you going to take them out? You know, sometimes you have to make a decision. And that's the end of it, you know. Iran isn't a terrorist country, right? It's a destroying influence on the world. It's a much, it's, you know, much higher. And you've got to take them out, and that's the end of it. Well, you worry about the billion Muslims. I guarantee the billion Muslims won't do anything, you know, because there's nothing that works better than you flex your biceps. Well, that's what it is. You know, people are afraid of power, and people are afraid to use the power that they have. But there's a time that you have, you have to use the power. You have no choice. Because, like I say, Iran isn't just a nation that is starting up with other nations. They are destabilizing the world. And that's why the Bansham did North Korea. Because he wanted to show, uh, what's his name, uh, to Trump, excuse me, let me show you what it means to be the threat of a nation, right, that threatens your extinction, your exi existence. So here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you Iran, this, this pipsqueak nation called North Korea, right? It's nothing, you know. Okay, the guy's a megalomaniac and so on, you know. All of a sudden, America realizes what does it mean to be threatened existentially, you see. Now, this is North Korea. Iran is a future North Korea. That's all it is. That's what's going to happen. You know, it, it doesn't take a profit to realize what's about to happen. When North Korea gets their nuclear stuff, forget it. They are going to threaten the world because that's what they do. When Iran becomes nuclear, first they're going to threaten Israel, try to take them out. Then they're going to threaten Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is the greatest opponent of Iran. They'll take out Saudi Arabia. They'll take over the Middle East. And once they have the Middle East, they'll have nuclear weapons that can reach Europe, Paris. So you want to tell me what to do? I'm going to take Paris out. Now what are you going to do? Nobody's going to fight with them. Then it's too late. The time to, is to, the time to act is now to preempt. You don't want to do that? If Chamberlain wouldn't have said that, if they would have taken out Hitler then, then there would, there would be no World War II. But they didn't. Nobody moved. Because that's the problem. The good always hesitates. Evil never does. You see? And uh, that's the way it is. That's what mankind is and so on, you know. But uh, in any case, uh, you know, that's what's going on. Thomas said you got to wake up before he does and kill him, right? Of course. Yeah, hush game. Got to wake up in the morning, yeah. <clears throat> but like I say, you know, um, you know, the world is a very frustrating place. It's astounding the, how people do not see what the MS is. They're all dishonest because they're all bribed by their own self-interest, whatever that is and so on, you know. So they never see the MS. And then there are people who are downright evil. It's just incredible. It's incredible how Obama could have made, made this deal with, with uh, Iran when he knows that Iran wants to destroy the world. Iran wants to take over. It's just it's, How do you do that? You know, especially when Iran was about to go bankrupt. A couple of months, they would have been finished. Yeah, he had him. He had him anyway, begging. Uh, the whole, the whole economy was bankrupt. He could have destroyed Iran just because of the economic sanctions, but he didn't. So what's his excuse? You know. He gave him a billion and a half. Yeah, 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 yeah. People do not understand the evil of this man, of Obama. It's beyond belief what people are. But anyway. 
Uh, this is exciting uh, events which are happening now, and it's unheard of. Uh, and it uh, clearly indicates when all of these pieces are put together that there's a tremendous rush, acceleration toward the messianic process. It really is. So in that sense, it's exciting. You know. After this, then the next stage. There's Edoim, there's Ishmael, then there's a third stage. When that happens, you know, you can uh, roll out the carpet for the Mashiach. And that third stage is called the Era of Rav. When they are overthrown, then that's the three great nations that have to rule before the Mashiach comes. There's Edoim, there's Ishmael, and there's the Era of Rav. When, so right now we see uh, Edoim has changed, and that's Trump. Ishmael seems to be changing that this guy Mohammed bin Salman and when the heir of Rav is knocked out which seems to have be happening slowly then the Mashiach is mamish right around the corner because those are the three great nations that have to change and, uh, and when the heir of Rav has to be completely deposed uh, and then th that's the entry I once explained the heir of Rav are people that feel that the essential concept of a Jew is not the Torah it's a nation. We're a nation like everybody else. That's the era of Rav. It's not the people, the people are Amaratsim, but the leaders who lead the people to believe that they are Jews, not by virtue of the Torah, which is the uh, covenant with God. The reason why we are Jews is because we have a nation called Israel, right? We also have culture. We have gefilte fish. We have schnitzel, you know? We have all these poets and all that. That's what makes us unique. We are a nation like everybody else. And that's what uh, certainly Eretz Israel is doing. Uh, they always, they're always obsessed with trying to prove to everybody else that they are like everybody else. Instead of, uh, instead of um, emphasizing their uniqueness of being Jewish and of the Torah and the wisdom of the Torah, they're obsessively trying to do exactly what the Goyim are trying to do. That's why you, when you walk into the museums, basically the museum is nothing more than a reflection of the culture of the West. Because they're trying to show we, we also are equal to you. We have the same culture. We have our own inventors, you know, and, and artists and so on and so forth. That's what their museums are like. You know, it's nothing more than a showplace that we are the same as you. We can stand. They're all searching for equality with the nations of the world. That's the quest of the Ir of Rav, to, uh, to remove the uniqueness of the Jew, of the Torah, and to show that they are equal to everybody, the, the equality with all the nations, and, and we are also like all the nations. And that, that these are the leaders, of, uh, unfortunately, of what, what goes on now. But someday that will end. But God has patience, slowly, one at a time. And I think he doesn't want to shock the whole world by doing it in one year. You know, everything collapses, you know. So it seems that we're looking at a turnaround of Yishmoel. And then I believe the, uh, the next ones will be the Arab Rav. You know? That's what I believe is happening and so on. Okay. What's this medrash you quoted? What's the name of it? Which medrash? That you sell 2,000 years ago about Persia. That's Yalkut Shemoni. Yalkut Shemoni? Yes, it's a medrash. It's on Yeshayahu, and it is the section 499.
That's it. You look, you look up, it's in the right, there are two columns, the right column, all the way down at the bottom, is where it talks about Persia. Paras, you know. And that was written 2,000 years ago. It's amazing how they knew that there would be a Persia, and that Persia would be doing all this. It's just astounding how they knew that, you see. Uh, you know. But that, that's what happened. Uh, that's what's happening. Yishmol seems to be doing tshuva because of uh, Persia. And, and that's what's pushing them into the arms of the Jews. Well, that is, you know, anyway, just said they didn't want to be alive during these That's different. That's different. A lot of sages said they don't want, say let him come, but I don't want to see him. And they said that they do not want to be alive at the time right before the Mashiach comes. But it's not because of the persecution. The reason for that is called mute or. Because the, the worst thing you can do to a tzaddik is to diminish Kedusha in such a way where it's dark. If you look outside, it's dark. There's not only that evil dominates, you know. Um, there's no Gedolim. Any Gedolim coming out today? Where's the Gedolim, you know? 11 million Jews are gone. The amount of Kedusha in Klai Yisrael is incredibly diminished. And they didn't want to be part of that because they understand they need Kedusha to eat. And if you don't have Kedusha, holiness, then they can't stand it, you see. So the worst thing you can do to a tzaddik is not suffering, but it's to deny him holiness, to deny him spirituality. And they knew that before the Mashiach comes, that is going to be the major climate. No spirituality, A. All sheker, all lies, deceit, right? Pleasure, power, materialism, arrogance, you see, and lies. And no, and th this is what's going to dominate before Mashiach comes, but very, very little um, uh, spirituality. Very, very little or light of Kedusha, of holiness, uh, and, and so on. And that's exactly where we came to. We're, we're at that level. There's very little. I know it's hard to realize because we live in Lakewood. So Lakewood, you know, you see the Shishibas, which is great, you know, you have yeshivas and all kinds of bote medrash, everything. Lakewood is like a, Lakewood is, uh, is um, um, it's one of the greatest capitals of Jews in the entire world, you know, and so on, besides Eretz Yisrael, uh, and, and so on, you know, Lakewood and, and uh, Williamsburg, and so on, Muncie, you know, but what do you think, how many Jews really are in these, country, uh, these places? So very few. Most Jews are gone, you see. So there's very little Kedusha. The Ramchal says something interesting, that before Mashiach comes, it's like, a, imagine a window that's painted black, and the window, you're going to close it slowly, so light gets in underneath, and you close it and close it, and to such a point where if you shut the window, then it's totally black, then the world is destroyed. So he says that the darkness, the the darkness, the lack of spirituality will be so great that the amount of window open is about one millimeter left. So there's a small little bead, you know, of light left, and that's it. You know, that's how dark, that's how far it'll go down before Mashiach comes. That's how much darkness will envelop the world. Like the Jews of Mitzrayim. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. 
exactly. Just like it happened then, will happen now. The Jews, the whole world will be not just the Jews, you know. And uh, it's going to be that, you know. <coughs> and one millimeter later, it's shut. But then the world is destroyed because without any kind of Kedusha, uh, spirituality, it's destroyed. So it's going to be what's called Ad, Veloy Ad Beklal. Ad means until the bottom, right? But not the total uh, clo closure of the window. And that's what we're seeing. We already live in that type of world. You know, I mean, just take a look today, and there's so much scandals going on. First it was Hollywood, and now it's the Congress. And it's, you know, like, what's going on here, and so on, you know? But that's what's happening. You see, that's what's happening. You realize that all the icons and the idols that everybody used to worship, hey, you know, look who these guys are, really, you know? Um, it's, it's just astounding to watch mankind, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, spiraling down, to re literally so far down. And what the Bansham is doing is he's, he's trying to, in a certain sense, get people to do tshuva by showing the bankruptcy and the, and the tremendous uh, emptiness of the, all the Hollywood icons, you know, and, and the politicians and all these guys. Uh, and, the, and I'm not even talking about the uh, sports figures, these guys, you know. He, he, he's showing, he's showing in the incredible emptiness of all this. It's really a move to do tshuva. He's trying to get people to do tshuva. Stop looking at these people, you know, because if you don't look at these people, then there's a chance that maybe they'll look for something else which is real. It's really it's part of the tshuva movement, you know. The exposure of these types of people is all part of the movement of tshuva, you know. Because then there's a chance they may find something that is really um, legitimate. Yeah, that's what's happening, you know. Any questions? So the good news is he's right around the corner. You see? Big corner. What? Seems like a, it's a big corner. corner. Yeah. Listen, you know, you know, it, 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 it's a slow process. It's just, it's unbelievably slow. But at least the right moves are happening. It's not the wrong moves, you know. Yeah, you leave a chair empty. That's right. You know. See, it was 120 years for the people to do I know. Imagine, a, imagine 120 years. That's a long time, you know? Yeah. But uh, look, the Bansham has his husband, why he goes so slow. But, uh, but it, it, there's no question that there are things, things happening in the last five years, ten years, that are absolutely astounding. When you look at it from the vantage point of a messianic process, you know? And uh, like I say, this is what's happening. I'm just waiting for the third stage, the fall of the air of Rav. And once that happens, the, the whole world is going to light up. What? The Muslim population, the simple population, I doubt they're going to allow Saudi Arabia to acknowledge Israel. It's not up to them. They're very religious. Uh, don't make a difference. No, that's not true. No, crown, well, these guys are nobodies. The princes are, 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 are secular. No, 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 they won't revolt. It's a, it's, no. 
I want to tell you something, Saudi Arabia is fighting for its existence. It's on the line. And they know that. That's why they're doing it. But that's good. Because <coughs> ultimately, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll ultimately side with Israel. They get friendly trade and so on and so forth. That's very good. But, uh, you know, they have to do it for their own existence. Or they're finished. In five years, they're finished. Iran will take over the whole Middle East. Right? Well, that, that it's over with for these guys. Netanyahu and they know that. Who? Netanyahu. He has no illusions. No, he's, he's probably, he's probably, uh, uh, he's, it's a whole simcha. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> oh, okay. If hmm. something does happen. Took the whole session, but anyway. If something does happen. Anyway, next week, we'll go back to Derech Hashem. Um, but I thought I was Kedai to tell you what's happening, which is really astounding. You know. What's next week? Hmm. How does he justify the modernization in, in the actual uh, <coughs> Islamic religion? It well, it's, it, it's, no, no, it's still Islamic, that's true. But like I say, look, he has no choice. I mean, he's going to be destroyed. They have no choice. And they'll justify it by saying, yeah, it'll raise the economy of Saudi Arabia if we trade with Israel and so on, you know. He's arresting them, which I read, by the way. He just arrested 30 senior Wahhabists. Senior. He's arresting them. You know? They're not going to have too many protests if he's arresting them. You know, the, well, the only way they won't protest the protest they behind bars. If Iran attacks them first, if Iran attacks them first and they all see the gig is up, then, 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 then they won't protest. Anyway, that's... Uh, okay. Thank you. See you next week.